when did you come to you came in seventh grade to public school yeah yes mm-hmm. were you there for the guinea pigs or... no i wasn't Ugh. i missed the guinea pigs that honestly i heard lots of stories about Ugh. them <laughs> we had a teacher i honestly can't even remember her name but she just like had guinea pigs and she would force you to like hang out with them on your desk and if they peed or pooped or anything you had to clean it up even if you didn't want them on your desk <laughs> that's insane uh, that shouldn't be allowed insane. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, Glad I missed that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well. Well, anyway, I actually have a topic of discussion this week that I shared with you. And it kind of came about because I... It's like a frustrating situation. But I made a video about TV series that are inspired by video games. And Mm -hmm. it, like just never uploaded it just didn't go well and so I had done all this like reading about it and it was like I felt so comfortable about what I was talking about and then it just like never uploaded and then every other time I uploaded it it just got like 20 views and Hmm. so I started there and then like I started reading about other tv genres that have like exploded recently and so I thought it would be fun today if we talked about some TV genres that are trending upward, that are gaining popularity, and I don't know, just explore why we think that's happening and like what we think the future of those genres is going to be, if they're going to stick around or not. So I like that idea, and <laughs> I'm ready to hear what you have to say about these genres that you have shared with me. Well, before we jump into the first genre, I wanted to say that I was reading more about genres that are on the climb today, and I found a really interesting statistic that children's programming is one of the most in-demand genres right now. And Hmm. I was thinking about it, and I feel like it's probably because of COVID because more kids were staying home and parents wanted to like find things for them to watch. Right. But I don't really like care or know enough about children's programming to like talk about it all that much. But I did think that was kind of interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And I think it, it stands to reason to me that as more people with younger kids who are, you know, presumably in their late 20s, early 30s for the most part, that as more of them continue to cut the cord so to speak and get rid of cable that they would be looking for more um, children's programming from the streaming providers that they have which is an area that I feel has been lacking for a lot of the streamers but then again maybe I'm just not paying attention to (laughs) the children's (laughs) programming that most of them offer but you know the the traditional channels you're Disney Channel and Nickelodeon and PBS, Cartoon Network that might have a lot of kids programming. Not all of that might be available right away, at least, on a streaming service. So it definitely makes sense to me that the streamers would want to supplement that, whatever they have, with new original content. Yeah, definitely. But anyway, that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) So I guess the first genre I would like to talk about are TV series that are based on video games. And I feel like this is this is like incredibly fascinating to me because 
the history of video games being turned into movies is so unbelievably unsuccessful. Like, there, <laughs> I found this Washington Post article that said that, like, at the time the article was written, 50 movies based on, or, like, however many movies had been based on video games at that point, like, none of them had above a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes or, like, mm. maybe one of them or something. Like, they're just critically panned always. And I think this year in particular has had some really like kind of impressive announcements about video games that are being adapted for tv and of course like the halo series came out which was a pretty huge deal and was relatively successful though i know some people that watched it felt that like liberties taken with the characters were so unlike what was true to the game i guess Mm -hmm. but there's two series coming out within the next few years that are based on hugely, hugely popular video games. That would be the Fallout series, which is coming to Amazon. And I saw Mm -hmm. that Kyle MacLachlan was cast in that, which is a pretty Mm -hmm. big name star. And then there's the Last of Us series, which will be coming to HBO. And that video game franchise is huge like it sold like 17 million copies in its first few years of being out it spawned a sequel it's like one of the most involved plots of any video game i know of like anyone i know Mm. who played the game like cried at the end because it was like (laughs) this beautiful story wow so my main thought is like okay movies didn't work so now we're gonna try to see if we can make them work as tv series yeah uh for me, I think it makes a little more sense to try a TV series based on the game than a movie, because a movie is so much more finite, for the most part. I mean, you can have, like, a series of movies, but with TV, you can say, yeah, we're ordering ten episodes of Pong, the TV series, <laughs> and uh, and you can use that ten episodes, presumably, you know, 10 hours or whatever of content to really build out the world of that game and to explore more of the characters and to see so much more of what is happening than you can in a two-hour movie. So it, I, I get the urge there to try TV as opposed to movies for some of these bigger name projects, but I still don't know what the level of success will be, because I think one of the things that drives the success of the video games is that interactive component, where the person playing it is the one responsible for moving the story along to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I feel. Like, I don't play a lot of video games, but I've played some, some more immersive than others, I guess. Like, I've played Elder Scrolls, which is a pretty, like, open world kind of fantasy game with like a lot of rich detail in the world and the races of the characters and there's a pretty solid like storyline throughout and you have a little bit of freedom with what you can do but there is like an overarching you know thing for you to complete and Mm -hmm. I've played a lot more just fun games like I like 2D platformers and like I like racing games like I like simple things that I can kind of turn my brain off to which I don't think you would necessarily adapt into a series but even if we took like I love the Elder Scrolls world but even if you took that and adapted it into a TV series I just I don't think it would hit the same spot in my brain at all and like 
it's interesting because I think TV series, I've always had a deeper emotional connection to than movies or video games, but video games are just more immersive. Even if I don't get the emotional payout from them that I would from watching, you know, seven seasons of a TV series, I'm still like more in it. And I don't know how you can translate that in any way other than making it actually interactive, which we're like so not at a point that that is possible, not for like a high quality show. Yeah, I think the day will probably come when someone does create a video game slash TV series that actually has an emotionally resonant story and that actually pays off, like, that checks all the boxes that people look for in both, right? That have really fascinating gameplay and, you know, the graphics are excellent and, you know, stimulating characters and all of that kind of stuff. And also, like, a storyline that makes complete sense that people can sit and enjoy even if they aren't, like, as interested in the gameplay itself. But we aren't at that place yet. And it kind of surprises me that no one has really tried to do that quite as much. I was also thinking about how uh, the conversation that we had a few weeks ago about Netflix getting into mobile gaming. It doesn't sound to me, based on the things that I've read and based on what you've shared on the podcast that they really have an interest in doing what I was talking about earlier, like really making a a solidly scripted and really engaging, visually appealing video game that just also works as like, from a story standpoint, as a television kind of experience. It would make sense if they did, because that's the kind of thing that I think they would need to set them apart. Like, no one else is doing it right now. And if anyone is going to do it, let's be honest, it would be Netflix, right? Because they've already done these interactive specials. Like, they have at least a little bit of experience with that. And they clearly are putting some money down on something that they think will differentiate them. It's just that the way that they are planning to do it does not I think make the most sense for them but it really could if they did it well absolutely I mean it to me it would make so much more sense rather than trying to double the amount of mobile games they have in a year to take all of that money and just develop one really good interactive series like Mm -hmm. it that is a better move because if that if you can do that and make it successful you have essentially created an entire new genre that mm-hmm. you are then at the forefront of and right. i mean i know it's it's super complicated i know like the better the graphics look the harder it is to program the characters to move in a fluid way like there's mm. so much that goes into it but like yeah I mean, Netflix has already spent how much on content? Like, what's another billion? <laughs> they probably don't even know at this point. <laughs> they don't. They just know that it's money they don't have if they keep losing subscribers. <laughs> I did want to make a point that I think it makes total sense, though, that they would be deriving content for TV shows from existing properties that are already very familiar, because that's what they've been doing with movies, with Legos with, you know, (laughs) any kind of, like, um, existing content already. Like, all of these streamers have been dredging up whatever they can to find some interest with a 
fan base that already exists. And I think with these games, you have fan bases that are highly involved because they sit and play these games all the time. And then you also have people that will sit and watch other people play the games on Twitch for hours at a time. You know, so those people that are watching live streams of other gamers are not watching TV shows instead. They are not watching the regular streamers. So if you can, like, play into that familiarity that someone might have with the Fallout brand, for example, and pull them away from watching other people play Fallout online and watch the scripted version instead, then that makes business sense to me. Definitely. Um, but, you know, it, it, whether those people will continue to watch and continue to subscribe to your service depends on the quality of that content. And it remains to be seen whether that's actually going to be high enough to retain anyone. Well, taking it from a genre that feels really new to a genre that is very old, that is on <laughs> the uh, rise right now, westerns are coming back, allegedly. This is something I feel like if you think about our lifetime, like every seven years or so, it's like disco. Like every seven years, someone's like, it's coming back. And I feel like the same thing happens with Westerns. But I actually think right now there is some truth to it. And I found some weird statistics. There are statistics about how in demand Westerns are. So you're not like the way they're comparing everything. It's not like a clear percentage, like 5% of people want to watch Westerns. It's like, this is how much more in demand they are than they used to be and how much more in demand they are compared to other series. But there has been a definite increase in demand. I think it was like a 15% increase over the past year in the demand for Westerns. And a few interesting things here. Obviously, I've talked about Yellowstone a lot. So, like, there's a show out there that is hugely successful, like, in a very traditional sense, like, getting tons of viewers on actual TV and streaming. So I think that's one reason, you know, maybe it's opened people's eyes to, like, the fact that this could be replicated. But it's also interesting to me that a bunch of westerns that have been off the air for decades are among the most in demand and Hmm. like uh bonanza little house on the prairie and then deadwood which is much more recent were all in the top 10 most in demand westerns last year so Hmm. they were like the highest ranked with the exception of yellowstone and 18 83 or whatever and then Mm. it was like those three so that kind of tells me or i would assume as someone who knows nothing that there (sighs) aren't a lot of westerns out there for people to choose from and because this genre is picking up in popularity people are being forced to revisit series that have been out forever from other times in history when like they were actually quite popular So Mm -hmm. I don't know how you feel about this, how real you think this specific trend is and how long it could continue. Well, I can't say that I remember any recent tried and true Westerns before Yellowstone, like in the last decade or so, like nothing really comes to mind. Westworld has like components of a Western feel to it, but you know, it, went off the rails so quickly that it kind of right. lost <laughs> any of that. But, uh, like, I, I'm i personally not a, a huge fan of the Western genre, 
so I maybe I'm just missing the shows that are out there, but it doesn't feel like they really exist. Or if they do, they're like it's stylized in a different way, but sort of like just have the same mood. Um, right. I think of I've I've never watched the show, but I get sort of a western impression from like Sons of Anarchy or something yeah. like that. Like I, I think that's in that in that same sort of style i guess mm-hmm. of a western but i just i i need to see more of these kinds of shows to like truly gauge if there's really a, a renaissance happening i just think there are definitely prospects for westerns to grow i don't know how long term those prospects might be it might be kind of a short-lived fad since it really was just started by one show from what i can tell i think there has been sort of a hunger for shows that really speak to middle america so to speak because there just haven't been as many of those whether they're westerns or not in the last couple decades really and i get that there is a desire for more rural settings in tv shows that's not something you'd really see all that much and with characters that just kind of live humble lives so to speak where they're not doing anything super exciting or flashy but they're just living life the way that they do out in the country no i feel like for the longest time like content has and it, i mean it's always been like this but content really has been focused on like the coastal elites you know mm-hmm. if you want to put it that way and i feel like there is that desire like you said for a different kind of character to be represented on tv like there is a desire for something different and i feel like and I can't think of specific examples right now, but I, I feel like there's some truth to this where like when all of the content is sort of got like one theme to it, like everything's very liberal minded or everything's very conservative minded, you have room for like an outlier show to premiere and really blow up because it is kind of the only other thing out there if it's like good enough and still appealing to like everyone in some way and i Mm -hmm. think with like a show like yellowstone it is a western kind of and it is a little more rural and a little more middle america but the underlying theme of it is very broadly appealing to people like Mm -hmm. it's about freedom and like not wanting anyone to control you or take your like life and liberty away from you in a way like they you, ever and i think everybody can relate to that like mm-hmm. whether you are a communist or like a capitalist or whatever like we all have a sense of like personal autonomy like even if we want to help other people like at the end of the day like i feel like especially in america like that sense of like wanting freedom is very drilled into all of us no matter where you lie on the political spectrum And so I think that that kind of piece of it is so broadly appealing. But there have been a few shows I've noticed this year coming out, like the Dark Wind show on AMC that just came out is Western-esque. There's also a show on Amazon, Outer Range, I believe it's called, which looks like Yellowstone, but has aliens. And then Uh even the, the new Hulu FX series, The Old Man... 
that oh, okay. recently came out. I don't know. I haven't watched it, but I've seen some people throwing around that it's kind of in that same, as you said about Sons of Anarchy, maybe like in that same mood, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but another thing I found when I was doing research about Westerns is just a really weird rabbit hole I went down. So there's this network called the ISPN Network, or INSP Network, Inspiration Network. Okay. And they used to be called PTL, which was like the televangelist network started by the Bakers. And then they got renamed in the 90s and they went from like more religious kind of content to like inspirational content. And then in 2010, they did a huge rebrand and now show primarily only Westerns, some Mm. old series, old movies, some original series. And like their logo is now like a cowboy hat and like the old West font. Like it's very weird. And it's called Insp. Yeah, it's still in. But (laughs) it's like all their branding is like Old West themed now. And Hmm. I found this in an article on Variety about like the most popular cable channels or whatever. And while I don't think it's like one of the most popular, it has been like, I'm pretty sure they said the only cable channel that has grown every single year since 2010. Wow. in so it now reaches 60 million households and has experienced over a thousand percent growth since 2010 wow that's fascinating it's so weird and like i'm sure it's like if i had to guess old people watching it <laughs> right. but like it's still like the fact that a channel like that can just like just dominate by only really showing westerns is Mm -hmm. wild to me that is pretty wild and i can't think of like (laughs) any other like cable channel or streamer that has picked up on that apparent hunger for (laughs) a western that is out there like no one has really branded themselves as being like the home for westerns so it i guess it makes sense that if someone is doing that like Obviously, we all have that sort of cliched image, I think, of a grandpa who just wants to sit in his chair and watch Westerns (laughs) all day, and someone has to be providing a way for him to do that. So, it makes sense, but that's so fascinating. I don't think I've ever heard of INSP before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I, like, I loved reading about it. Like, I don't even... I really couldn't even tell you how I totally, like, got there. But then I just, like, it was, like, Wikipedia page to Wikipedia page to Wikipedia (laughs) page, like, reading about all this because it's just so weird. Mm -hmm. So the final genre that is really growing right now, which we have mentioned countless times before on this podcast, is reality TV. But you said something to me earlier today I thought was interesting, which is that you feel, like, trashy reality TV in particular may be experiencing a resurgence. I think it is. Maybe it's just me feeling like I have noticed more 
shows of dubious quality, (laughs) maybe. It just seems like as we've had the proliferation of streaming services, which, you know, I referenced already earlier in this episode, they have been searching for more and more content. And that means scraping the absolute bottom of the barrel for anything that somebody might want to watch. (laughs) And I, you know, was like looking down through a list of like I just googled trashy reality shows earlier and just looked at the list of shows that came up and a lot of them are shows that have been on for a while but there are a bunch of new shows too and there are also a bunch of reboots of trashy reality shows from you know 10 years ago or whatever that have now been brought back and that just made me like, I hadn't really sat down and thought about the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, of course these shows are getting rebooted because everything in the world is getting rebooted. But, right. like, what is the nostalgia factor that is driving people to want to watch more Jersey Shore or Teen Mom or Real World Homecoming? You know, <laughs> why do people care so much about these people's lives, you know? 10, 15 years years on. Right. And I think it really is just the same way that you identify with a fictional character. Like, if you sit down and watch Polly D and Snooki (laughs) as they have, you know, grown up and evaded their taxes and, you know, had families and all of that kind of stuff, you are invested on the emotional journey of that person, whether it was written by someone or not. So I guess I concluded that it makes sense that, you know, people (laughs) would still be invested in them. But you're also so much more willing to get invested in new characters as well on shows like Too Hot to Handle and The Circle and Adults Adopting Adults, which is apparently a TLC show. Yeah, and then Love is Blind and Love Island and, uh, you know, The Ultimatum these shows that are clearly just meant to to put shock to, you uh, right yes like to make you go i can't believe that there are people out there who are actually willing to debase themselves <laughs> like this but they have been since the advent of reality tv and i think it's just it seems particularly pronounced to me now that there are so many more avenues for you know these shows to become available that there's just no end to the willingness of people to make fools of themselves on reality TV. <laughs> I like I, I just have to say I feel like Jersey Shore is the last great reality show to come out. And mm. like I have n- I did not watch it when it was on the air. I watched it all last summer for the first time. Oh, okay. And it just feels like the last of an era of like true like sloppiness that was allowed on reality tv and i just feel like today like you don't get that same like vh1 celeb reality and you don't get Mm -hmm. that jersey shore like everything not that those shows weren't like curated or like manipulated but like there was just so much more you could get away with that you're not able Mm -hmm. to do now and i think honestly that is a big motivation of why people are either going back and watching these shows for the first time or revisiting them because like there is such a lack of like content like that today like as you know shocking as some reality shows can be now like love is blind there's 
not the same level of like human humiliation that you're able to show. And I think people want to see that. And I feel like people want to see politically incorrect stuff happening. They want to hear Snooki say about this guy who's really short that he's a grenade grundle chode. Like, that's what they want to <laughs> hear. And like gym tan laundry and like grenade and like, you know, all that stuff. Like, it's so horrible. And I know it is like calling girls grenades is awful. Like, and I would not do that today. But like, sometimes you just want to hear people being awful. And I feel like there is a distinct lack of that on reality TV now. And there's really nowhere else to get it unless you watch a scripted show about like bad people like mm -hmm. always sunny because like we've just leveled up as like a culture and we don't go there anymore that's true that's a good point and actually one of my friends that was at dinner last night made a point about the real housewives franchise where they're doing some kind of like i girls trip? don't know exactly what it was yes girls trip and brandy glanville was on the show and she like walked into a restaurant and saw this chef and was like oh that chef's a lesbian and, the, like, all like, the other ladies were like, how do you know? How she's do you a know? And she's like, her eyebrows. And then, <laughs> like, they talk to the owner or whatever of this restaurant, and it turns out he is married to this woman. And um, she just flat out told him, your wife's a lesbian. And he's like, um, no, she's not. Like, we are married. And she's like, well, then she needs to do something with her eyebrows. Um, like stuff like that does seem so much more shocking today because people get crucified online for saying stuff like that now. And like, I was, I read a stat earlier about, um, Love Island, like the last season of Love Island UK that like the show got like 20,000 or something complaints into ITV for instances of like cyberbullying and like regular bullying on the show and like people just being awful to each other and using you know slurs and whatever and like i i've not seen anything that aired there but i could almost guarantee that if that had aired 10 years ago no one would have made a peep like right. everyone would have just sat back and laughed and i think it's a good thing that our culture is becoming more aware of problematic content and people that say and do things that can be hurtful but we also are so quick to jump on people that are just trying to be entertaining for the sake of being entertaining because right. that is their job on the television show and like yes they might be putting themselves out there to be exploited by this show and to portray a particular kind of character on that show but they're only doing it because they're being paid to do it in some cases. Right. And, you know, the audience can react however they're going to react, but I don't think it's always necessarily a, the worst thing in the world to just, like, let people do their stupid stuff on a reality show. And right. Because, like you said, it is all curated. It is all... A lot of it is just plain old scripted. So right. you cannot always fault somebody for acting a certain way on this trashy reality show because they know it is their job to just be that trashy person on TV and it doesn't mean they're always a trashy person off camera. And what's so interesting to me about shows like The Real World that have been on for so long and are now getting like all the homecoming seasons is that that show predated like Survivor 
and The Bachelor mm-hmm. and like all those shows. And watching early seasons of that show, it is pretty tame. Like mm-hmm. it is not a show that is like all about throwing drinks on each other. Like it really started as a social experiment. Yeah. And then that show was on the air for so long and had to really change you know seasons into it and become much more sensationalist i guess like to hop on the bandwagon of what was happening everywhere else yeah well anyway i don't have stats about like how many more trashy reality shows there are on the air these days than there were you know 10 years ago for example but it just feels like it might be a different kind of trash like i think there's yeah like you said earlier people couldn't get away with doing a lot of the things that they did back then on tv now but that doesn't mean it's any less trashy there's just like a sort of high class sheen on all the trash (laughs) and also like in part because of the way that these (laughs) like in part because of the way these things are shot like they just look better for one thing but also like there is this sort of idea that you're selling elegance and refinement on a show like you know Vanderpump Rules which (laughs) which is like (laughs) everything yeah sure looks pretty and nice but it's not like it doesn't mean it's not trash you know so um the, the people have just gotten more sophisticated with the ways that they present their trash to the world I would say well before we go we have a listener I almost said reader a listener <laughs> who sent in a voicemail about one of their favorite childhood shows and so we're gonna play it and yeah yay thank you for taking us up on this to our listeners who did we appreciate you um, taking the time to do that and actually following our instructions so let's hear it Hi, I'm Maria. I really enjoyed the recent podcast where you were talking about the nostalgic TV shows from our childhood. I just have to say that I do remember I was at the America's Next Top Model Sweet 16 party. That was a lot of fun. That brought back some fun memories. And um, I wanted to talk about Hey Arnold. That was one of my favorite shows as a kid. And even to this day, when I catch an episode, I always think, you know, about how good it is and and how much I loved it. And I think that some of the most iconic episodes that I remember were Stoop Kid, uh, Stoop Kid that was afraid to leave his stoop. That was a good one. Um, The one where they were getting Lockjaw out of the aquarium Mm -hmm. was always a good one. They always had some good shenanigans with the grandpa and grandma on the show. And I think the one that I remember the most was when they were stuck on the subway train and they sang, let's all hold hands here on the subway. And, you know, it was just a really fun show. There was a lot of really good music in it, and it had a lot of good, you know, good themes and good stories. So I I think I'll always appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. And (laughs) yes, Maria was our friend in high school, still is, you know, but um, yes, she was a guest at the party that we referenced in the last episode. If you have no idea what we're talking about because you haven't heard that episode, go, go listen back to and it. Listen. Well, thank you, Maria. If anyone listening wants to send in a voicemail, voice memo, whatever, our email is televisionarypodcast at gmail.com. She figured out how to do it, so you should be able to... <laughs> Like, I know it's possible. <laughs> Maria is a smart person, but I think that any dumb person could do it, too. Don't worry. 
gosh. Uh, as always, follow us on Instagram at Televisionary Pod, on TikTok at Televisionary Pod. Wait, I got that backwards. Instagram backwards, at yeah. Televisionary Podcast, <laughs> TikTok at Televisionary Pod, and do all of the things that you should do. Share this with a friend and just keep listening. Yes, do all of the things that you should do. You know what those are. <laughs> all right. Well, I've been Elena Hillard. And I've been Cody Hoffman. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Televisionary. If you like what you heard, share this episode with a friend. You can follow us on Instagram at Televisionary Podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Bye.